Good day to you, fine people of God. I'm Pastor Cole McClendon coming to you from Central Assembly of God, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I trust that you will find great value in listening to this message today. My hope is that you're encouraged and strengthened by the word given and that you will return to this site frequently to listen in. Be blessed. My message is titled, Discovering the Righteousness of God. The Righteousness of God. And so, if you will, you can turn to Romans chapter 3. It's an important passage of Scripture. And uh, I want you to see something in the Scriptures there. I want to speak to you about a religious prison that many are stuck in today. I want to talk to you about how to be freed from this prison, and that prison prison is called legalism. I'm going to explain the term because... I'm a little bit concerned um, that there may be people here today that don't understand it, at least for the young people. But those of you who were raised, how many of you in the service, in the sanctuary this morning, were raised in a, um, you have a Hispanic background and you were, you were raised in the Hispanic church community? Lift your hand up. And you can put your hands down. How many of you would say that you, you, you know when I say the term, term legalism, you know what that means? Raise your hand again. Yeah. Um, legalism is a set of rules that we as men or mankind have put on our relationship with God and our walk with God. I have to explain it to you this way because there are children in here and they have no clue. They have no clue. They were brought up in the modern church and uh, that's not been a great issue unless, of course, you were really involved in a Hispanic community, some of those, and then some of you from seriously holiness background churches, same thing. They will, uh, this will be a thing. But when I was a kid, when I got saved, when I came to the Lord, um, which was a long time ago, <laughs> you would never see a woman in the church wearing a red dress. Just didn't happen. No red dresses. Guys wouldn't even wear a red tie. Why? Because it was identified with the world of immorality. Um, ladies, if they wore dresses, they were at least below the knee. Some of you, it had to touch the ankle in the churches you are a part of. They, ladies wouldn't wear makeup. They were told not to wear makeup. God made you that way. And um, I'm laughing because I remember hearing a 
an old preacher down south saying, well, even an old barn could use a touch-up now and then. <laughs> and y'all have to work that out in your heads, what, the, what I actually meant when I said that. Um, so, in any case, they wouldn't wear makeup and they wouldn't cut their hair. They could wear their hair down to their ankles or put it on a bun that would be three foot high. But those, these were rules and regulations that the humans put on humans that declared how they would live and look. And it become or had become a type of bondage, like a prison, that if you couldn't keep all the rules, which made it such that little girls, are, when they became teenagers in particular, you know, I guarantee you there are women in this place, young women alike, that were like, when they turned 13, they would, they'd, they'd get makeup somewhere and put it on when, before they got to school. Because they were in that kind of household. You know, what do you got on your face? Where did you get that? And uh, so it was a type of bondage that people were under. And, and, and I want to help you uh, today. And, and this legalism is built on a misconception of God. Number one, that he is relentlessly demanding. It's built also on, out of an ignorance of men thinking that we have the capacity to impress God. And number three, it's built on this false theology that salvation is predicated on performance. And, and legalism stalks its victims uh, with a vengeance. Um, and some of you that are in this place today, you could even say that you sit here right now and with unresolved guilt, insecurity, insomnia, um, high blood pressure, shame, anger, regrets. All of these come with this prison, if you will, of legalism. Its demands crush you. Its requirements immobilize you. Its victims lie scattered on the roadways of life and our churches are full of them. You could be condemned walking into a church by your physical outward appearance. Now listen to me. I'm not in favor of dressing in a fashion that doesn't re, that, that's too revealing, immodest. I'm not in favor of that. I'm not good with that. Not here either. But, but it had become such that you could be condemned. You walk into the building and what are you doing wearing that? You know, and like they're standing there with a ruler on how long their, your dress was. That's wrong. It's the inversion of human effort over 
God's gift of favor. Many sincere believers exist, but they do not live. They, they serve, but they do not participate. They struggle, but do not achieve. And it's all because of this prison of legalism. They have it backward. For them, the life of faith is a ladder on which we climb rather than a hand to which we hold or cling. Let me put it this way. Our problem, and if you're listening to me even online, Today, all of you are going to learn some principles about grace that are important for your life and walk with God. Some of you are still, still right now, you're listening to me and you're waiting for me to give you a word of hope. And I am today because you're bound in this prison. There may be a few of you that are swinging too far to the right on this one or the left, whatever you want to call it, but you're swinging too far and you're taking grace for granted and trampling it. I'm going to bring you back to the middle here, but i got to start with dealing with this prison of legalism. So our problems as a people of God are theological, especially in relationship to grace. It's faulty understanding of uh, of the way God deals with his people as a result of this bondage, this terrible bondage. Thankfully, however, it's a correct understanding of God's way of dealing with his people that leads to glorious freedom and abundance. The one rests on the law and the other rests on grace. Somebody say, thank God for grace. So in Romans chapter 3, I'm going to begin at verse 21. Romans 3 verse 21. Follow along with me. I I use the New Living Translation and that's what's going to be in the presentation for the you that are watching online and in-house. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. As was promised in the right of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone. I'm pausing for effect. This is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. So let me explain righteousness for a moment. I want to explain righteousness. Righteousness, just think of it in the simplest terms, it's living right. 
acting right. So when I say living right, it means you operate right, you deal with each other right. Righteousness often, most often in the scriptures is related to how we deal with one another, human to human. So, but however, the righteousness of God is given to us through the work of Jesus Christ. Um, but let me start by asking you to consider Paul's world. His Jewish contemporaries, all right? So place your, put yourself in Paul's time, in Paul's age, his culture. So his Jewish cult contemporaries would have known only one kind of righteousness that attained through the law. So think of the law. It started with the Big Ten, right? You know what I'm talking about. The Big Ten commandments. And when God was speaking to Moses, even in the design of the temple, or excuse me, the design of the tabernacle and the, its furnishings and things, God was very clear and distinct in how he told him things should be. And from that, men began to extract and add to the laws that God laid down. And, and so what they did was they developed over the course of the years over 600 laws they were to abide by. And it was everything associated with your general life from when you washed your hands, how you washed your hands, where you washed your hands, what you did with your hands after you washed them. When you ate food, what kind of food you ate, where you gathered your food, everything. Everything had some kind of rule attached to it. It was a works-centered life measured by external criteria and was thought to be the religion of their forefathers. Their heroes of the faith, Abraham, Moses, and, their, and the like. And so Paul's teaching of a righteousness bestowed or a grace given, a divine favor imparted would have been startling or shocking to them. Who would have ever heard of something for nothing? Or so it would have seemed to them. Something for nothing. This is freely given? Yet here it is in verses 21 and 22. A righteousness from God. It was apart from the law. So a righteousness from God, apart from the law, consistent with the testimony of the saints or the prophets, and gifted or freely given through faith in Jesus Christ. Something for nothing. We need to understand the magnitude of Paul's thinking. Paul stands like a, an amazing bridge between two covenants, two distinct ways of thinking or understanding God's dealings with his people. And these are sharply contrasting systems of theological reflection. And they collide starkly in Paul's teaching. There's a collision 
course. But I want you to hear what Paul says when he writes to another church, another good church. If the church in Ephesus might be considered the best church in the New Testament. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, look at what Paul says to that church. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Look at the next verse. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. We can boast in it, but we didn't create it. We can't make it happen. It is by faith that we are saved based on the work of Jesus Christ. It was new. This thought was new. It brought questions. It raised debate. There were people who hated Paul's preaching this. Jewish people that all of their lives they were taught the laws. Taught the laws. When you consider that Paul was taking this message to do to the Gentiles, now you get some idea of how much he stirred up controversy. It is why he was beaten. It was why he was stoned and thrown out of towns. They didn't want to hear Paul's teaching on this free gift of grace. But here's the problem. We have universal need. Listen to what the scripture says again. Back in Romans again, and, and now this is the last part of verse 22. We are made right, well, I'll read the whole verse. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes. No matter who we are. For everyone, you know this verse, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. So here Paul established the universal need for God's righteousness. That, that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. It's a universal need. Look at your neighbor right now and say, you need God's righteousness. You need God's righteousness. Interestingly, it's, it's the um, law which provides sin's exposure. We, we, we know we've sinned because of the law. I'll, uh, I'll relate a story that happened in my early life. Pastor Amy and I we're engaged and we decided that one day we were going to go on a date. We were, uh, she lived in Elmira, New York, which is about 30 minutes or so from Watkins Glen. And it's a beautiful, some of our young people went just a week ago. And it's a, it's a beautiful, incredible place. And so we, we took a ride there. And I don't remember why I was driving, uh, Maybe because it was special, maybe there was a problem with my car, but uh, her parents let us use their car. I want to show you a picture of their car. 
So some of you... That is a Cadillac Fleetwood, a 1976 Cadillac Fleetwood. Now, I, I'm not showing you this to show off because their car didn't look that good. But it was that car. And had all of those same qualities and it was about as long as from me to Albert. Huge car. I'm not kidding you. It was as big or as long as our shuttle bus out in the parking lot. Huge car. And they designed cars in that time. The idea was that you were floating on a cloud when you were riding in them. So the only way you can rem remotely come close to feel, knowing what it felt like riding in that car is to imagine you're on a Greyhound bus. Because that's how it rode. It was like... I mean, you were just cruising. When you got that, the term cruising came from those cars. Smooth as silk. And I'm telling you this for a reason. I'm driving. I'm driving in a place I've never been before. And we're cruising along these back roadways, and, and I'm going about 45, 47 miles an hour, something like that, cruising along. And, you know, I'm engaged. I'm sitting beside her, because that's when they had the nice big bench seats, and you could fit four people in the front. The seats were huge. I am not lying when I'm telling This is not, I may be exaggerating a little bit, but I'm not exaggerating on how big these seats were. I'm telling you, two of me could fit on one seat. They were huge, and the, the leg portion, and you sat in them. You, I see some of you, some of you guys, particularly, you drive your little tiny car, but you put your seat way back like this. Like, I, like I'm thinking, is there a little old lady in that car? I can't see nobody but, you know. Well, these cars, you really did sit like that. It was like, there's the steering wheel. You know, way up there. And, and the seats were wide. You could, you could fold your legs and sit back like this in the back seat. I'm not kidding you on that leather seat so I'm cruising along got her beside me my mind is not on the car other than I'm steering it in the right direction and the next thing I know I see little lights in the back you know what in the world is that I'm looking down and I'm okay I don't know what I've done so I pull over and Comes over to the car, may I see your license registration, please? And I said, sure, but what did I do? She said, mister, you were going 45 in a 30 mile per hour zone. I went, really? Because I was cruising. <laughs> I didn't feel the, t I didn't see a change, I don't know, you know, and I'm sure I was distracted by her beauty or something. Otherwise, and, and my mind wasn't on the 
Either way, I missed it. The law revealed my sin. And that's the only good that comes out of the law. It may reveal your sin, but it won't fix it. It can't cure it. And here's the problem. You spend your life trying to live right and do right and find that you're incapable of doing so in your best efforts. And so one day's good, the next day's bad. One minute's good, the next minute's bad because you can't control yourself like you need to to fulfill the requirements of the law or listen to me when I say this, the requirements of God's righteous standard. You can't do it. So the law leaves you hanging. If you put men up against the requirements of God, every one of us falls short. That's why David uttered those words in, in the Psalms. He, Psalm 51.5, he said, I was born in sin. Sinful at birth. He wrote those words. The law which if trusted to save only produces death. Yet now it becomes the illuminating light to show how deep and profound men's inability to win favor with God is. We cannot recover from the curse of sin by ourselves. Self-justification doesn't work. Works justification, it's useless. You can't work this up. You can't work up your salvation. You can't make yourself good enough. Look at your neighbor right now and say, you're not good enough. Not based on you. Not based on your capability. You're only good enough if you go there through the righteousness of God. You cannot control your own destiny. I need to explain that, I know, but I wanted you to hang on it because I wanted it to mess you up before I fix it up. You cannot control your own destiny. Without Christ, your fate is sealed. But here's the good news. With Christ, your fate is sealed. Yeah. Note that Jesus is in the middle of it regardless. Without him, your fate is sealed. You're doomed. With him... Your fate is sealed. You win. You overcome. You obtain the righteousness God requires. In the final analysis, we must all realize we're all sinners and needed the grace of God. So let's look at the universal remedy. I talked about universal sinfulness. Now I'm going to talk about the universal remedy. Back to Romans, chapter 3 again, but now just verse 24. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood, this sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead 
and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Just as all have sinned, all are justified. Wait a minute, you say. Wait a minute. Wait, wait. Is this universalism? Is Paul pronouncing all men are saved? Hardly. Let me explain from the same passage. Verse 22 says, We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. See that last line? This is true for everyone who believes. Now look at verse 26. Wait, not just yet. Yeah. Take us to verse 26, Maria. He makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Just the one part of verse 26. He makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. So you can only be made right when you believe in Jesus. Or righteous by believing in Jesus. So these two verses proclaim justification is to all believers or those who have faith in Jesus. Look at Paul's incredibly rich view of Christ and his work. Redemption is by Jesus Christ first. Redemption, you know what that means, right? To redeem something, you redeem a coupon when you go to the grocery store. You know, some of you fight for those coupons. and You redeem it. Wait a minute. I'm supposed to get a dollar off this. I'm sorry, that expired last week. But I'm supposed to get a dollar off this. Come on, you can make it work for me. Work your magic. No, redemption is by Christ Jesus, number one. And number two, God presented Jesus or him as a sacrifice. And number three, atonement is through his blood alone. Jesus' blood alone. Your atonement. I know those are big words and righteousness and atonement and and, and redemption. And, but all it means is that God did the work through Jesus. God intended to send his son, and he did send his son. He was the lamb slain before the foundations of the world so that men would have access to God and it would come through Jesus Christ. Even all of the old sacrifices they did in the Old Testament a plan that was set up and given by God. But the best, purest lamb could never touch who Jesus was when he shed his blood on the cross. None of them. And all of them pointed to him. All of those previous sacrifices pointed to Jesus. If Jesus doesn't come and give his life, shed his blood, then even all of those people killed the lambs and sacrificed them. It doesn't work unless Jesus does what he does. This is righteousness. 
Jesus is its embodiment. You get righteousness through Christ Jesus alone. You cannot be clean by any other means. You cannot stand before God justified if Christ does not do his work. That's why he said his face has a flint, the scripture says. You know, King James has said his face has a flint to the cross. Nothing would deter him from getting to the cross because he knew that if he did not go to the cross, we could not be redeemed. We could not have freedom from our sin. We could not be set free from the bondage that sin would bring into our lives, which is death and hell. We could never live according to God's righteous standard unless Jesus goes to the cross. Same way that he said, I must go away, otherwise the comforter will not come. He said, I have to go to the cross, otherwise you cannot know redemption. You cannot live God's righteous standard. And interestingly, Paul moves to a discussion of divine justice in the midst of that passage. The offering of Jesus was to satisfy the just demands of God toward all those whose sins had previously gone unpunished. And it's to satisfy those same demands on behalf of Paul's contemporaries both then and now for us. So in other words, Jesus' work covers the sins of all of humanity prior to his existence and will cover the sins of all of those until the church is raptured out. Those who believe. You believe in Jesus? You believe that his blood gives you freedom from sin, cleanses you? Then you are made righteous in God's eye. Look at your neighbor right now and say, I'm looking at someone who is righteous. The death of Jesus alone could answer the call for divine justice and provide the way all, for all who believe would be justified. Let me bring it to a conclusion and help you all today. I said near my opening of the message that you may well be struggling and, and it's the way things work in the kingdom of God just about everywhere in anything. Pendulums tend to swing. So like I was saying, I, I got saved way back in the Late 60s, actually, I got saved and came to Christ Jesus. And that was a time when, yeah, the church still had a lot of what, what I knew of as holiness teaching. And holiness meant that you didn't do many things. And that you did do a lot of things a certain way. We couldn't go to movies. Didn't matter what was showing. It was, 
There's demons in them walls. You ain't supposed to be in that movie theater. You never know what's going to jump on you. Jesus come back when you're in the theater, he's going to leave you. That was, a, that was the kind of teaching that we had. Some of you say amen, you know, because you were taught the same stuff. I'll tell you another story another time. I'm ready to close this thing down and, let, and remind you. That, that. So the pendulum's over here, and, and that was the righteousness, the holiness, doctrine, and teaching, and can't do it, you, you know, wear your clothes this way. Do your hair that way. I mean, when I, was, when I got saved, folks, we were not supposed to. Remember, I, got, I just told you the late 60s. Think about this for a moment. Late 60s. Bell bottoms. And guys that had hair that looked like Jesus. But when I got in the church, they were like, no, you can't wear your hair like that. I mean, when we went to Bible college, really, we could not wear shorts on campus. In Florida. <laughs> in Florida. 90 degrees average every day. No shorts on campus. But you could wear them off campus. I don't know. Anyway, guys didn't even sit. The guys sat on one side, the girls sat on the other. Now, that's a pretty good rule. That one, would, that one they should have maintained. A lot less distractions. Anyway. Anyhow, I digress. See, it's legalism, trying to creep back in. See what it does to you? But that pendulum, if it swings too far the other way, then we trample the grace of God. And grace doesn't just mean that we, we, are, for, we are given God's favor and forgiveness and we can't earn it. It doesn't just mean that. Grace also means that you have the courage, strength, and ability Christ gives you to live without walking in that sin. That you have the ability to overcome it because you've submitted your life to the Lord. And grace says, I don't have to do that. Grace even tells you, I don't, I don't want to do that if it causes my brother or sister to stumble. I may be okay doing it. I'm not going to hell because I do it. But if I create a problem for that person, then grace says, I, you know, I don't need that. I don't need that. Paul said, I won't eat meat if it offends somebody. I just eat vegetables. I can survive. He said that not permanently, though, because I don't want you tree huggers coming at me in when I'm done here. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. If you're a vegetarian, I don't want you coming at me. Wasn't Paul trying to say never eat meat? He was just saying, I won't eat it if it causes my brother or sister to stumble. He'll eat it some other time, some other place. So you need to embrace the message of grace. And I want to say something to you today that not many will say to you. And I want it to be your confession and your understanding today when you walk out of here. 
we say these kinds of things in Christian circles and, and we preachers and evangelists and such have said things like this, but, but I want you to hear it different today because this is the truth. You do deserve it. You deserve it. Oh, yeah. There's people, I don't deserve this grace. You do deserve it because Jesus would have, not, if he hadn't died, you wouldn't get it. You deserve it because he did it. He did it for you. He did it out of his love for you. He gave his life on the cross for you. So you deserve it based on him. If you've asked him to forgive you of your sins, come in your heart, be your Lord and Savior, you deserve it. And no, you cannot earn it. You can't be good enough. Come on, Pastor Mackay. So here's what I want to do today. For a few of you that remain here and raised your hands earlier, and you, you don't have to be Hispanic to have been raised up in this mess. You can come from all kinds of quadrants and and this and that, grandparents, aunts, uncles, parents, people get you confused on this stuff. I want to chase away the guilt of leftover law by trusting the fullness of Christ's work on your behalf. I want to chase it away today. I don't want that mess stumbling you, causing you to stumble anymore. Nothing, hear me when I say this, Nothing makes Jesus happier than seeing people indulge in his great work. Listen to me when I tell you this. I indulged a great deal last week in food. I mean, I had ribs with chicken on the side. Had Every time I sat down to have a meal, I said, give me some sweet tea. Stuff I reserve for special occasions I, every day. I'll take the sweet tea. I indulged. Nothing makes Jesus happier than seeing his people indulge in the work that he accomplished on the cross. Nothing. You want to make Jesus happy? Thank him for his grace. Thank him for giving his life on the cross. Thank him for shedding his blood. So I don't have to be bound by my sin. My sin cannot take me to hell. It cannot. Because his blood has covered my sin. That's grace. Nothing else will satisfy God's demands. So I want you to stand with me. Pull up Romans 10, verse 9, Maria. I want you to read this with me. I want you to say it with me today. Follow me. Say it with me. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, 
you will be saved. Keep on going. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. One more. Verse 13, same chapter. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It is by grace that you are saved, and it's not of your own works. You cannot justify yourself. You cannot accomplish this yourself. But a simple prayer based on the massive work of our glorious God can get you right with God. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me, please? I want to know if there's anyone in this room today. Say, Pastor... I've not walked with God, I've not been walking with God, or I walked away from God and I need to make it right today. I need His righteous covering because I've made a mess of things. I need His forgiveness for my sins because I want to be ready should He rapture this church. If that's you today, nobody's looking around. It's a private moment. I'm not even going to call you forward. Would you lift your hand and say, I need Jesus in my heart. I need his forgiveness for my sins. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Maybe you're watching online right now or listening online and you're not in the right place with God. Maybe you were someplace last week or last night that you shouldn't have been, doing stuff you shouldn't have done. Now's your chance. Pray this prayer with me. If you raised your hand or if you're listening online, pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus I confess with my mouth that you are Lord. I believe in my heart you were raised from the dead. And because of that, I ask you to forgive me of my sins, to be, to be my Lord and Savior. I am yours. From this moment forward, I am yours. Thank you, Jesus, for your work on my behalf. Head still bowed, eyes still closed. Maybe you're here this morning, and, and, and perhaps this whole idea of, of righteousness obtained and the guilt you've carried because of the life you've led, and some faults are wrong teaching, a wrong view of that teaching, has led you down a path, and you... You need the freedom that comes from knowing that it's only through Jesus' blood that you're saved. Lift your hand right now. Say, I've been bound up in it, preacher. I've been bound up in it. Confined. Father, I pray for men and women. I know this thing gets confusing to us and people do these things. I pray for them, Lord. I pray for them today. Pray for them right now. They'll be freed from every bondage, every stronghold of the enemy. God, you will bless them in their life as they walk this out, Lord Jesus, to recognize that my righteousness is a gift from God and he's my only way to obtain it through Jesus and shed blood. God, help us never to rely on 
our ability to do things. We can't work this up. We have to walk this out. So help us, I pray, in this area. In the marvelous, matchless name of Jesus, amen. I hope you've enjoyed today's message and that it has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening in. If you have met Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you please connect with us either at our website, www.centralfamily.net, or perhaps give us a call at 610-865-0577. We'd love to hear from you. Also, if this has been that kind of a blessing to you, would you consider blessing us with a financial gift to make it possible for us to continue to do what we're doing here and taking the gospel not only to the lehigh valley but around the world we want to do our part in reaching the people that god has entrusted to us with the gospel of jesus christ you can help us with your financial gift or sowing a seed to this ministry god bless you have an amazing day remember you can reach us and give through www.centralfamily.net.